The China and Africa podcast is brought to you in partnership with the Africa-China Reporting Project at Witt University in Johannesburg. The ACRP promotes balanced, considered reporting on Africa-China relations through innovative training programs held throughout the year. More information at africachinareporting.co.za. Hello and welcome to another edition of the China in Africa podcast. I'm Eric Olander, and as always, I'm joined by Kobus van Staden of South African Institute of International Affairs in Johannesburg, South Africa. A very good afternoon to you, Kobus. Good afternoon. Kobus, coming up in September is a big shindig in Beijing where all, or most actually, 53, I think, not 54, African leaders will get together for what's known as the Forum on China-Africa Cooperation. Did I get it right, Kobus? FOCAC. Yes. Okay. And uh, this is a very, very big deal. A lot of people surprisingly don't know about it, particularly in the China-Africa space. And basically every three years, uh, China rolls out its, its welcome mat. It brings out a giant checkbook and it starts writing huge checks and kind of lays out its plan for the next three and five years ahead for what it wants to do in China. In the last summit that occurred in Johannesburg, uh, $60 billion was rolled out. Now, here's the interesting thing. The big countries in Africa tend to get the lion's share of the money. So countries like Nigeria, Kenya, Ethiopia, South Africa, they tend to benefit the most from this type of summit because, well, they are geopolitically more important. But how do smaller countries do? And Kobus, this has always been a question for me that I've always wondered about, which is what happens for these small countries when they get to the table? This is a big issue, and it's becoming an even bigger issue with the Belt and Road Initiative becoming such a big part of FOCAC this year. It's it's going to be a very big theme of FOCAC, and the Belt and Road routes connect to some of China's major partners, some of these big countries you mentioned, particularly Kenya and Ethiopia. But it also connects to smaller countries along that route, and traditionally a lot of these smaller countries have gotten a lot less from China than the big ones. Yeah, so countries like Botswana, for example, don't always do quite so well because, again, they're not as geopolitically important. They don't have natural resources. They are landlocked. Another country that doesn't fare so well, typically, is Somalia. Now, Somalia is a very interesting country, and it's one that, to be honest with you, Kobus, in the eight years that you and I have been doing this show, I don't think we've ever once talked about Somalia. I mean, they're just... I think we've done what? one on piracy in the past, but I can't oh, remember. Oh, that's it's true. Many, many years. years ago, we did one on piracy. And it brings up this very interesting point, because what we know of Somalia is that it is a... And I'll put the cliches out there. It's a war-torn factionalized country that has Muslim insurgents, that is unstable, and really has nothing of value to offer the Chinese. So that is the kind of the headlines. We're going to go a little bit deeper to find out if that's actually true. But we're also going to find out what does a country like Somalia do in preparation for a huge summit like FOCAC. So to do that, I'm just thrilled today to have this guest on the show because I've wanted to have her on the show for a very, very long time. Dr. Khodan Osman Abdi is a research fellow with the Institute of African Studies at Zhejiang Normal University, and she's also the executive director of the Center for East African Studies. Khodan, uh, first of all, thank you so much for staying up very, very late, and it's really an honor to have you on the show today. Thank you, Eric, and thank you, Kobus, for having me. And let's just say this has 
become, you know, to, to be finally able to hear my voice on the show that I listen to every morning is extremely interesting as well. Wow, mutual flattery gets you everywhere in this world. Uh, that uh, hold on, you, people may recognize you from a number of different movies. You know, it's like The Simpsons. You know, as seen in. Um, but the you were you were recently in a and you produced it and you were also featured in it in a documentary called Africans in Iwu, which was and you were the co-director. It was an award-winning documentary film. You did six episodes in it, and that so people may recognize you from that. Also, I just want to, before we get started on our discussion, give a little bit of background. You received a PhD in communications from Zhejiang University. You've published a lot on it. You've been in China for 13 years, and it's really remarkable that you speak a beautiful Mandarin. And I just think, again, I'm just so impressed with how you've been able to blend these kind of very divergent cultures of China, Africa, Islam. And all with a very, very strong feminism to it. And you wear a hijab with pride. And I just think all of that together is just so, so incredible. So that is my my little shout out for you. And I'm just very impressed with that. So thank you again for taking the time to join us. No, thank you, Eric. And thank you also, Kobus. But you're too kind, honestly. So let's get started. Somalia, part of your, your long profile is that you were recently appointed as a senior advisor to the president of the federal government of Somalia, and you're advising on policies and strategies to promote Somali-China investment and economic relations. Now, that's kind of unusual because, as I said, Somalia is not known to be a destination for Chinese investment. And at the same time, you mentioned to me in a previous discussion that you're working with the president's office to help prepare for FOCAC. So let's go back to the top of our discussion where how does a little country like Somalia that really is not as organized anywhere near what the larger countries are when it comes to an event like FOCAG, what are you doing to prepare for this huge Africa summit to make sure that Somalia is represented at the table? Well, first of all, thank you so much for raising this subject because I really know that it's really very much worth the conversation, especially when it comes to uh, China-Africa cooperation and relations, Somalia really hardly comes into the conversation. And there are three things that I'd like to correct that you had stated in the beginning of your comments. First of all, uh, Somalia isn't actually a small country compared to a lot of uh, other African countries. Somalia sits on over 637,000 uh, square kilometers and it sits on uh, a very strategic location on the East African coast and that is exactly where the Indian Ocean meets the Arab Sea, the Gulf of Aden, and goes into the Red Sea. And you've also mentioned that Somalia has nothing to offer to China or to Chinese entrepreneurs. Those, and those were the, the narratives that I was putting out there. So I just not necessarily what I believe, but good. I know. I get it. Yeah, I get it. But these are the misconceptions that are out there. And these are the misconceptions that need to be corrected because... Somalia sits on one of the most strategic spots in the global geopolitical, geographic, uh, geoeconomic locations in the world. Uh, simple reason being, Somalia sits on one of the most important, some of the most important maritime routes, or what you call the, the highways on the sea. And it is a very important intersection point where the majority of the world trade passes through our waters. So Somalia's geoeconomic position, just her geographic position, puts it on a huge economic advantage that so far hasn't been 
uh, fully taken uh, advantage of simply because of the collapse of the government in 1991. However, since 2012, Somalia has had two uh, very stable governments and the current government has a very strong strategy and a good plan to develop Somalia into the potential uh, that it has sitting on the, on all of those resources. So, you know, just just to, to deal with one, one of the big, I think, perceptions that people have in the rest of the world about Somalia was, is the issue of piracy. Um, recently, piracy off the coast of Somalia has been described as having essentially been beaten back. You know, that, that thanks to multilateral um, peacekeeping initiatives um, off the coast, there isn't that much piracy happening anymore. And some of these big powers are now preparing to leave and to not to not do that kind of multilateral um, work anymore. Do you fear that some of that is going to come back? To which extent is piracy still a thing in Somalia? Well, as you've mentioned, Kobus, piracy is almost non-existent right now in Somalia. And that is thanks to the international efforts of the international community. And that also includes the Chinese naval fleet that patrol uh, Somalia's waters. Now, as the international community prepares to leave, now this is the right time for Somalia to rebuild its ability to monitor and secure its, uh, its maritime borders. And this is where our new development plan or the development plan that Somalia has in place at the moment is putting focus on in order to make sure that uh, piracy does not come back or issues like piracy do not come back and uh, affect regional security. What Somalia needs to do is, number one, create jobs. And creating jobs means that more emphasis has to be put on the economy and the development of the country's infrastructure. And number two, we need to also start developing uh, assets such as our, our Coast Guard or our Naval Force. And these are both initiatives that the government is keenly working on developing in the near future. You sound like a very persuasive saleswoman. And I'm just curious, and because I want to bring our conversation back to the China-Africa relationship and the China-Somali relationship. When you bring this point, when you, okay, you've made your pitch now, you've you really laid your case out that says Somalia has a lot to offer. It's a strategically vital country. Its location is pristine in many respects. Uh, it's brought piracy under control. There's a lot of potential in Somalia. What's the reaction that you get when you bring this to Chinese stakeholders, whether it's the government or investors, uh, anybody? What's the reaction that you get here in China when you talk about Somalia? The reaction is very simple. The reaction is this is the least expected from Somalia. Somalia is expected to take active steps to tell the world where it is today. Because to be honest, what Somalia is suffering from at the moment is a image problem. An image problem in the sense that the whole world thinks that there is a civil war going on in Somalia and that there is chaos, there is piracy. Sometimes some people think that in a normal city in Somalia you might see smoke in the air and that is absolutely not true. The reality is that when media reports on Somalia, they take sensational stories and these sensational stories focus on the one or two incidents that happen. For example, explosions or suicide bombs or terrorist attacks such as these. At the same time, the, the media is so much used to reporting about disasters and crises in Somalia that whenever a famine happens, a drought happens, you find multiple reports about Somalia. However, 
media really does not report about the realities on the ground, about what the new government has been doing for the past year and what the government before it has done to stabilize the country and to uh, reconstruct it and, and bring about reconciliation within the society. So when we approach Chinese stakeholders, whether they are public or private entities, they actually listen to, whenever they hear these comments that I'm making or that we are making, they hear it with eagerness because everybody sees huge potential in Somalia. And China and, and Somalia right now in Africa is one of the last untapped places that has so many opportunities for entrepreneurs and has so many opportunities for development. And these are things that Chinese entrepreneurs, both the private sector and also the public sector, are looking at with extremely keen eyes. Now, where are we at when it comes to having potential and actually taking advantage of that potential? Where we are at right now is that our government actually has to step up in the sense that we need to actually tell the world in a very loud voice and show them with action where Somalia is today that Somalia actually is today ready for investment, it is ready for international cooperation in many different sectors and aspects, and that the government is 100% committed to providing an environment that is in inducive and that is protective and actually that is prepared for investors to come and invest in a safe and um, protected environment. So when when this Somalia makes this case um, at FOCAC this year, um, it is going to be up against a bunch of African countries that have um, a lot of resources that they are focusing at FOCAC, you know, and, and, and very aggressive trade and investment agendas. You know, countries like South Africa, like Nigeria, like Ethiopia are coming to FOCAC to get money. Um, how is Somalia going to make its voice heard in that crowd? Thank you, Kobus, for the question. It's actually quite interesting. Um, Somalia, actually, when it comes to the strategic position that Somalia stands and what it has to offer, outweighs a lot of our neighboring countries, in fact, simply because Somalia, geographically speaking, number one, sits on the entry point of the Belt and Road Initiative to Africa on both sides, on the side of the Gulf of Aden and also on the Indian Ocean. Number two, uh, Somalia also sits on a very important maritime route that takes uh, global trade through the Indian Ocean all the way to uh, Europe via the Gulf of Aden and the Red Sea. So when it comes to negotiating and when it comes to um, making sure that Somalia gets what it needs, I don't think there's any issue there. The only problem that we've had so far is that in previous FOCACs and in previous FOCAC summits, Somalia never came well prepared. We never came with projects. We never came with initiatives. We never, we never came with demands. So this is what's different this year. So it's not an issue of Somalia not being able to compete with some of our larger uh, neighbors that are able to negotiate stronger. It's the simple fact that Somalia never even tried before. And I believe that with Somalia's strategic advantages and Somalia's commitment to its uh, relationship with China, uh, I know that a lot can be done. 
uh, there's a very simple historic fact that a lot of people don't really uh, pay a lot of attention to, which is Somalia actually was one of the key countries that fought for China's return to the United Nations. It was one of the key countries that gathered all of our East African and other African brethren to together fight for China's return to its rightful seat on the United Nations. And that actually tells you about the political affinity that exists there in a historic sense. The only problem since the FOCAC summit began is that Somalia has been in chaos. So, so, so no Somali authority, no Somali government came to the FOCAC prepared well enough. And this is how this year is going to be different. Support for this podcast comes from the Africa China Reporting Project at Wits University School of Journalism in Johannesburg. The ACRP provides reporting grants, workshops, and other professional development opportunities for both African and Chinese journalists. Follow the ACRP on Twitter at Wits China Africa or visit africachinareporting.co.za for information about grants and upcoming seminars. Okay, so we are the month of June now. FOCAC yes. will happen in September. Yes. So we have three months. Tell us, what are you doing right now to lay the groundwork for your president to come and also to get those plans in front of the right people in order to attract the type of Chinese investment that you say Somalia needs so badly? What's going on right now? Take us behind the scenes. All right, so I'll try to take you behind the scenes uh, in as much as I can. So... First of all, our current president, Mohamed Abdullahi Farmacho, had a very clear-cut strategy when it comes to our international cooperation relations. And his policies and strategies were widely communicated with all of his executive branches. And if you remember, there was a, uh, a news uh, report on Xinhua News Agency uh, that came out last September when our prime minister, Hassan Khaira, met with uh, the foreign minister, Wang Yi, in uh, the U.S., uh, on the sidelines of the UN, UN General uh, Commission. And they had actually laid the ground for what's to come uh, in the next year. So the president tasked the entire government to begin preparations for the, this year's FOCAC summit since last September. And our executive branches have been in close contact with both our embassy in Beijing and also the Chinese ambassador in Mogadishu. And we've been holding uh, close talks and close chats to discuss what can be achieved during this year's FOCAC summit. And um, so far, uh, there is a draft of a framework for cooperation between China and Somalia uh, existent. And we're about to deliver that to the Chinese uh, relative parties uh, for review, negotiations and discussions. And we're really hoping that this year's summit with our president's um, attendance uh, will be extremely fruitful and will bring a lot of development for the country and for the people. Um, what kind of uh, specific uh, projects do you think Somalia would want to, to prioritize? Well, at the moment, Somalia is really looking forward to reviving the economy and we have, a, uh, we have an important uh, statistic that uh, not a lot of people know about, which is 75% of Somalia's population is under 35 which means that we have a very large number of human capacity that 
need to be utilized in sense of uh, education and training, and also in sense of creating jobs for them. And Somalia has the one of the longest coastlines on the African continent. We have about 3,200 kilometers of a coastline. So it makes sense that Somalia exploits its blue economy to revive the country's, uh, the country's economic um, situation. So uh, the blue economy and projects to utilize cooperation in that field will definitely be one of the most important focuses of the country. And of course, Somalia has had huge infrastructure gaps since the collapse of the government in 1991. So a lot of infrastructure projects will be definitely put on the table. And the third part is uh, China is actually one of the most popular destinations for Somali students. At the moment, there's an estimated number of about 5,000 Somali students currently studying in different cities in China. My university alone hosts about 60 Somali students who are 100% self-funded. So China is already a very popular destination for Somali students. So we're going to try and explore uh, more strategic cooperation on human capacity building and educational development also. So... We all know what you may want, which is a big check from the Chinese government for all the development, investment, and, and, and all the prizes that come with being at the table at FOCAC. What are you realistically expecting to get out of this year's FOCAC? What are the scenarios that you're presenting to the president about what he should expect from, from the summit? Not the, not the high and mighty and the, the big budgets, but the realistic. What, what do you think you're going to get out of it? To be clear about one thing, Somalia at the moment... In its strategy, it is not looking for aid. What it's looking for is for development assistance. And that includes opening up Somalia as a strategic partner for economic cooperation. What we're really putting on the table is that Somalia is open for business. And that is open for both public investment as well as private investment. And we're really hoping that through solidifying our government-to-government relations that we can probably furthermore enhance more um, people-to-people exchange in terms of economic cooperation in the sense that opening up Somalia for Chinese investment. Like I said, the blue economy is one of Somalia's most strategic advantages and setting up economic zones and setting up industrial parks and factories to process all of these products and also export them to the international market would hold a huge benefits for both the investor who can happen to be from any country in the world, and also for the Somali government and the Somali people. So that is what we're putting on the table. We're putting on the table that Somalia has so much untapped resources and untapped strategic advantages that are open for development. And that's what we're looking for. Somalia, to be honest, shouldn't be within the brackets of a poor nation, just given what God has given it so far. We've got agricultural resources, we've got marine resources, we've got amazing, amazing beaches that are beautifully set for tourism. However, we're really not exploring all of those uh, sectors simply because of our past 25 years lack of development. Um, So yeah, so when it comes to what we're putting on the table, what we're realistically expecting, we're realistically expecting that Somalia be open for international investment 
from China, from all of our other international partners as well. Let me tell you, if this whole academic thing that you're doing at Zhejiang, normally at Zhejiang University, doesn't work out, you have a career in sales <laughs> and in diplomacy waiting for you. I mean, Kobus, she's an amazing saleswoman. I mean, you can sell Somalia. I mean, that is amazing. Uh, I'm just Dr. Hodan I know, but it's really <laughs> persuasive. It's like, I want to invest. Sign me up. Uh, Dr. Hodan Osman Abdi is a research fellow with the Institute of African Studies at Zhejiang Normal University. She's also the executive director of the Center for East African Studies. But our focus today is on her role as a senior advisor to the president of the federal government of Somalia and preparing Somalia for uh, FOCAC and again, not getting grants, not getting a handout, but really getting a fair share and a fair take for people to look at Somalia as a as a potential destination for uh, investment and engagement. So, uh, Hodan, thank you so much for taking the time to join us. We really appreciate it. No, thank you very much, Eric, and also for Kobus for ho having me on the show. Well, good luck at, at FOCAC, and uh, we hope that the next three months are uh, are productive for you, and, and we'll be keeping an eye on Somalia at the upcoming FOCAC Summit. Definitely. You really should be keeping a very close eye on Somalia because Somalia is rising. Kobus, I, I just can't tell you how much I enjoyed that conversation. There was so much that I wanted to ask her to play the devil's advocate a little bit and to get her take on you know, all the difficulties that Somalia faces and that small countries like, and I say small in the sense of geopolitically small. She corrected me in terms of the size of Somalia and the potential of Somalia, but the current state is that Somalia remains geopolitically not very important to the Chinese in Africa. And it's hard to see, honestly, uh, that will change anytime soon. But you know what? Bless her for being there at the table and making a case for the country because this is what happens behind the scenes, this furious amount of lobbying uh, from countries big and small in Africa to make sure that they have a seat at the FOCAC table and that their voices are heard. And I think that to me is very, very exciting. And also in some ways what Hodan was doing was evolving the China-Africa relationship, not having the, the wooden bowl out for a donation and a handout and saying, we want you to come to Somalia on our merits and on the quality of the potential rather than simply just give us a check. And that, to me, is a really nice evolution to hear. I completely agree. I, th I agree with her also that Somalia has a lot going for it. You know, it's not only in terms of the, the, the geostrategic aspect of, of where it is, but also just simply because it is, you know, right next to Ethiopia, it's close to Kenya. It's on the Belt and Road route. It's a, it, you know, if, if they can sort stuff out, it would be a very natural kind of fit into this, what, what is now, I think, emerging as a kind of East, East African development zone, um, you know, where things can be, you know, if, if there's a harbor, then that would, Ethiopia would be very into that, I would assume. So, you know, so there's, there's a lot that can be done, but there's, there's a few important issues. One is terrorism, you know, and, and we know that, that terrorism is very difficult to root out once, once terrorist structures have been established in a the country, they're very difficult to get rid of. The other thing is just a, a, a government, you know, that, that, is, that has low capacity. It's, it's not the easiest thing in the world to, to build up a government after, you know, after years and years of chaos. Um, and yeah, but, but I, I am with her in, in hoping that they can. Listen, hope is, is really important. And I don't want to take anything away from what she said. But at the end of the day, 
there seems to be two cases in in Africa in terms of of the types of governments. Well, one is that a, is a is a country that is blessed with abundant natural resources, whether that's Chad or the Democratic Republic of Congo or Zambia. And other countries are blessed with strategic location, so Djibouti, Kenya. So they may not have much in the way of resources, but they are ideally placed. So definitely Somalia is the latter, but you talked about this potential. And really, it comes back to one of the old themes in the China-Africa relationship, which is in order to benefit and maximize the relationship with the Chinese and really the rest of the world, uh, your governance has to be in order. And governance is uh, fighting corruption. It's delivering services. But at the same time, it's also actually having a government. And that's taking shape in Somalia. But 25 years of fighting is a very, very long time. And that will take a lot of time. And so I think she's got an uphill battle to persuade a lot of people to come. But at the same time, I think she's, you know, you got to start somewhere, right? You got to get out there and make the pitch and the presentation. And boy, was she persuasive. So I'm really impressed. I think it's interesting for us to get a sneak peek about how people are preparing for the FOCAC summit and uh, and what's being done behind the scenes now three months out. What are your final thoughts? Yeah, well, you know, I completely agree with you. And, you know, if you have uh, if you have potential and you have uh, something to sell and you have no track, or track record, the way that, that Somalia doesn't have much of a track record, then the people you speak with is China, you know. Um, China is, historically has been not as risk-averse as the West. Uh, there aren't these very kind of strong negative narratives about Somalia as they are in the United States. I think, you know, yeah, I think if, if she's going to make a, a persuasive case, she should make the persuasive case to China because they might be the most the most likely to do something about it. So let's keep our eyes on what happens in September when the final numbers come out and who gets what. And we'll see if Hodan was successful in persuading the Chinese to invest and to extend their engagement to Somalia. So that'll do it for this edition of the China in Africa podcast. We'll be back again next week with another show. For Copas Van Staden, I'm Eric Olander. Thank you so much for listening. The discussion continues online. Head over to facebook.com slash China Africa Project to share your thoughts on today's show. The guys are also on Twitter, where you can find Gwobas at Stadinsky or Eric at eOlander. And be sure to sign up for the weekly China and Africa email newsletter by going to www.chinaafricaproject.com.